Welcome to the Georgetown Baptist Church Sermon Podcast, where we share sermons from our most recent worship services. To learn more about GBC, please visit us online at georgetownbaptist.org. All right, we're going to read from John chapter 10, verse 11 through 18. Um, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. So let's say you need to buy something new. You are, uh, whatever it is, has broken, and you need a new thing. What are you going to do? How are you going to prepare? What are you going to pick? Well, you may go online. You may read some articles. You may uh, read some comparisons. But most likely, one of the things you're probably going to do is you're going to look at reviews. Right? You're going to go on Amazon, you're going to go on Best Buy, you're going to go wherever, and you're going to try and find reviews from other people who have bought this thing so that you have some kind of knowledge. And here's one of those sort of the law of the masses. You want 6,000 6, people who have reviewed it, not six people who've reviewed it, right? You want uh, more as much as possible uh, to be able to, to have and to do that. And what's interesting is when you're reviewing an item, that sort of makes sense, but we have gotten very excited about the idea of being able to review everything. So we've gone from items to places uh, that, that we go. So, uh, you know, I'm going to go to Orlando. Which hotel do I need to stay at? Let me read some reviews. Well, we're so excited about that that it then led to not just reviews of items or places to stay, but the, the actual places themselves. So, like, you know... I went to Gallenberg, Tennessee. It was like a redneck Las Vegas, one out of five stars. Or I went to Gallenberg, Tennessee. It was like a redneck Las Vegas, five out of five stars, right? Both are possibilities, right? But you are reviewing places now, which is a whole different thing and feels very, very different. Um, But it has led to something so utterly wonderful that it makes me laugh every time I even think about it, and I am delighted to share it with you. If you aren't familiar with it, there is an Instagram account which has turned into books and all kinds of things that is called Subpar National Parks. Subpar National Parks. So what this is, people have gone to national parks. It has not lived up to their expectation. They have left a one-star review of this national park on some service, and this particular person has uh, crafted, taken those words, and put them on a poster as if they were a promotional poster for the national park. So let me share some of these with you. The first one is for Joshua Tree. 
The only thing to do here is to walk around the desert. One star. All right, Sequoia National Park. There are bugs and they will bite you on your face. One star. The Grand Canyon. A hole. A very, very large hole. One star. Yosemite National Park. One of my favorites. Trees block the view. And there are too many gray rocks. One star. Okay. Now, here's what you need to know for the next one. Arches National Park is in Utah. This is what the Utah license plate looks like. And this is what the review was. It looks nothing like the license plate. One star. And now we get into the heavy hitters. The scenery is distant and impersonal at Zion National Park. And I really, I want my scenery to be up close and gregarious. I just don't like it when it is distant and impersonal. I'm not even sure what that means, but it's bad. Uh, Isle Royale National Park, you may have trouble reading this. Uh, no cell service and terrible Wi-Fi. And then my favorite is Yellowstone. Save yourself some money and boil some water at home. Now, this is funny because for many of us, if we have experienced any or most or all of these this isn't what we would have said. If you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, I, I don't know too many people who go to the Grand Canyon and are like, eh, I mean, sure, it's a bigger hole, but I've seen a hole before. I don't know what the big deal is. There's even a river on the bottom of it. It's not like we don't know what happened. But this idea of taking this experience and looking at it and going, nope, this is bad. This is not good at all. This is awful. You take this sense, and how do you decide what is worthy of five stars? What is worthy of paying attention to? What is worthy of your focus? And, and what do you reject? And how do you make that determination with all the things going on, with all the competing forces that coming at you? How do you decide what's one star and what's five stars? So we are continuing our sermon series this, uh, this week, and this is our Lenten sermon series. So uh, during the Christian year, the season of Lent is the season where you prepare your hearts and your lives for the coming of Easter. And part of what we do with that, you, you may have heard or, um, you know, or even experienced and practiced it yourself, of this idea of giving something up for Lent. And the idea isn't just that we want you to be hangry until Easter. The idea is that you take away something that you think of as important so that you know and remember Jesus is more important than that thing. That thing is not critical to your life. Christ is. Now, for some people, that's helpful to take something away. But for other people, actually adding something on is a more helpful practice. And so they... They just decide that they're going to read a, a chapter of Scripture every night, or they are going to do a gratitude journal, where every day they're going to write down three things they're grateful for, or, or they are going to be intentional about praying three times a day in this particular way. Whatever it is, the whole point of it is not just to do something different, but the point is that you are preparing yourself so that when Easter comes, we celebrate. It is why you clean the house before people come so that when people get there for the party, you're not worried about anything but the party. So 
during our Lenten series, part of what we are doing and how we are preparing together is by going through these statements that are called the I Am statements. That in the Gospel of John, Jesus reveals these statements about who he is and what his mission is. So we are looking at all of these different statements in order to understand a clearer, deeper, better picture of who Jesus is and what Jesus is calling us to do. So last week, we started off by talking about I am the gate, or some translations, I am the door. Um, I am the gate. And we talked about how, um, and, and what's interesting is this is the only one, this particular passage, because last week the passage we read was just the section right before what Alex read earlier. And so this passage has two I am statements in it. So last week we talked about I am the door, but it is mixed in with this idea of today's statement, which is clearly I am the good shepherd. And so this sense of he is the door also has this idea of him being the good shepherd. And we talked last week about if we are his sheep, then the idea of the good shepherd is the shepherd calls out and we're able to hear his voice. We are able to hear and recognize when it's God calling and we run toward him. The idea that we talked about last week is with the wall of noise, it can be difficult for us to hear, difficult for us to discern, difficult for us to respond. But what God is calling us to is to respond and come running to him. But this week, we are continuing on in our passage right where we left off. And so we start in verse 11 with Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Now, before we go any further, we have to talk about the word good. We've talked about this a little bit before. I don't know if uh, you may remember, but in our culture, good doesn't mean what Jesus means here. Because after the service, if you come up to me and you go, hey, uh, glad I was here. Your sermon was good. Uh, I don't think I'm going to hear it as a compliment. Because when we say good, we generally meant, we generally mean, eh, it could be better. <laughs> it's not, not quite there. It's, it may be bronze level. You know, I, we want better, right? We want, you know, your, uh, your sermon was superb. Your sermon was incredible. Your sermon changed my life and shook me to my core. Write any of these down you want. They're all acceptable afterwards. And uh, I made that joke after, in the first service, and at the end of the first service, I got some excellent adjectives. Um, my favorite being bodacious. Uh, my sermon was bodacious. It was like, it really wasn't, but thank you. Um, but, but this sense of when we say good, we tend to think, eh, it could be better. Sort of meh. But when Jesus says good, he is resonating with this idea that is deeply scriptural. This idea that goes all the way back to the very first account in, in the scriptures, the creation account, where God takes nothing and makes something out of it. And when God takes nothing and makes something out of it and does this beautiful thing, he looks at it and he says, it is good. Meaning not, meh, could be better. But it is good. It is as it should be. This is the right way of things. That is what God means when God says good. So when Jesus says that he is the good shepherd, what he is saying is, I am going to show you the right way, the proper way, the way that God intends to, for me to be shepherd 
for you, for me to follow you and lead you and feed you, for me to care for you. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Who are you going to choose to follow? Are you going to choose to follow somebody who is in it for their own good? Or are you going to choose to follow the one who is seeking out the best for you? This idea of shepherd is all throughout Scripture. Uh, you know, Tim sang about it earlier. They sang about it earlier, this idea of in reckless love. But, but one, of the, one of the ways, one of the most vivid ways that we talk about shepherds and sheep in Scripture is Luke 15, where there is a lost sheep. Now, if any of us, uh, you know, there's, there's sort of a difference here, right? Like if you have 100 marbles and you lose one marble, you're probably not spending your whole time, you know, and tearing the house apart trying to find that marble. If you have 100 kids on a field trip and you lose one kid, you're probably spending time trying to find that one kid, right? You, you can't be like, hey, 99%. I mean, that's, that's still an A. Uh, I mean, it was the annoying one that we lost, so everybody's a lot happier. They didn't let me be a teacher for some reason. But, um, but with Jesus and this parable that he gives of the 99, of there are 99 sheep, the, the 100 sheep, 99 are here, and one is lost. If you're a shepherd, what are you doing? Well, look, if that sheep's not smart enough to stay with everybody, if that sheep's going to keep making those mistakes, if that sheep keeps dumb, doing all that dumb stuff, then that sheep kind of gets what it deserves. And it, if it gets its act together, maybe it turns around and maybe we'll let it back in. That's not what the good shepherd does. The good shepherd runs as fast as he can to go get that sheep, even when that sheep is doing all it can to go the wrong way. Even when that sheep is running and, and doing the wrong choices, you need to hear that what Jesus says the good shepherd does is run after that sheep. It doesn't matter how you've set your life on fire. It doesn't matter the bad choices you make. It doesn't matter the weaknesses that keep showing up in your world. The second that you open yourself up to the good shepherd to come and save you, he sweeps you up in your arms and there is rejoicing in heaven because that's what a good shepherd does. So one of the ways that we understand a good shepherd is that he is always pursuing us even when we act like the dumbest sheep in the flock. He is always for us and with us. But that's not all. Because it's not just the New Testament that talks about shepherds. One of the most famous passages in all of Scripture is Psalm 23. And the idea that the shepherd does what? The shepherd leads you by still waters. Because you are more than what you do. You are more than what you produce. You are more than the job that you have. You are more than how much money you make or how, what goods you are. You are worthy of value and it is okay to rest and to stop. And the shepherd leads you to safety so that you can rest and remember that you are worthy because you simply belong to him. And that is enough to be worthy. That is enough to be part of the flock. That is enough for the good shepherd to love you. And honestly, it probably would be enough. It would be enough if the good shepherd 
ran after us whenever we screwed up. It would be enough if the good shepherd led us to safety and comfort and rest. But there's so much more of what Jesus says. And Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for my sheep. So the idea behind what Jesus means when he says good shepherd is not just that he comes and gets us when we screw up. It's not just that he protects us and helps us and keeps us safe when we are there in the flock. But Jesus lays down his life for us. Jesus recognizes that we are in danger and puts himself in the way between us and what would separate us from God forever. This is the good news of the great shepherd. This is the beautiful good news of the gospel that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were separated and couldn't make a way, God made a way for us. This is what the shepherd does. He lays down his life for us. So we talked uh, last week a little bit when we were talking about voice and the shepherd voice. We talked about how if you were a shepherd and you brought your sheep into the town, into the city, there would be sort of this communal sheep pen. And part of how you would not get your sheep mixed up with other sheep is that the sheep, your sheep would know your call and know your voice. So you go out and you say whatever your call is and you know that your flock comes to you. But that's not the only kind of sheep pen that existed in you know, ancient Israel. There was another one. When you would take your flock out grazing and, and would be gone long enough that you wouldn't be able to get back to sa- the safety of the town, what would you do? Where would you go? How would you protect all these dumb sheep who are going to run off if you aren't constantly vigilant and protecting them? Well, there was a... Uh, a different type of sheep pen that they had. And honestly, the technology has lasted for a couple of thousand years, if if not longer, uh, because a biblical scholar um, some years ago went and talked to a shepherd in the Middle East, and he said this is exactly the same thing that he did every single day when he had his flocks out. What he would do was he would take them and he would put them in a thing like this. And uh, this is a little bit of a fancier one, but the idea would be that there would be a build-up wall of rocks and the sheep would go inside. Now, if you notice at the very first, uh, down at the very bottom, there's not a door. They wouldn't build a door because the shepherd was the door. The shepherd laid down in front of the doorway to make sure that any, and, and what this shepherd Um, some years ago said was that if anything's going to come and try and harm the sheep, they're going to have to go over me to do it. And I'm not going to let that happen. That's the picture that Jesus gives, is that he has brought us home to safety. He has brought us to the place where we can rest and trust in him, where our goal and purpose is to follow him as best as we know how. You don't have to save the world. You don't have to save your job. You don't have to be the one that saves your marriage. You don't have to be the one that saves your family. You don't have to be the one that does all that. There's already a Savior. What you are called to do is simply choose to follow and rest 
in the arms of the good shepherd who will guide and direct and bless you where you need to go. Because he lays down his life for us. He gives himself up so that we can have life and have it to the fullest. This is God's desire for us. This is what it looks like to follow God, to be a sheep in his fold. Not only does he come and he get you when you run away, not only does he lead you by still waters where you can rest and remember how loved you are, but he lays down his life so that you can be his forever. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Would you pray with me? God, for all the times that we run away, forgive us. For all the times that we get so busy that we forget to be still, guide us. And God, for all of the times that we forget your love and mercy, your sacrifice and goodness, open our eyes again to see. Help us to know what is truly good, and that is you. God, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you. And we ask all of this in the powerful name of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.